This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. My guest this week is the director of Price Doubt, Freddie Poser. Freddie, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you. Now, Boris Johnson gave a big speech this week about housing reform and extending the right to buy scheme. What do you make of the speech and what the Prime Minister had announced? So I think it's good to see that the government is taking the housing crisis seriously, but I think it was a shame that he didn't get to the root of the issue and actually tackle the supply crisis that faces houses, housing in this country. The real issue is not whether you can right to buy or other demand side reforms is that we haven't built enough houses in this country for 30 years. So one of the main announcements within speech was allowing benefit claimants to buy their own council homes. And whilst this is a good idea in theory, would the use of benefits to buy a council house not in fact see the government effectively rebuy that house? No, um, the use of benefits to buy a council house is, you know, it's not necessarily Hmm. a bad idea. And that, that will that will live and die by the details of the scheme. I'm sceptical that actually it will extend the opportunity to many people. Uh, the government would have to be quite generous to do so. But there's no reason that you should be excluded from owning your own home just because you receive universal credit. But as I say, the issue is, again, that there just aren't enough houses to go around. Yeah. Well, on, on the issue of supply, the Prime Minister did say that in within this scheme, he was going to build a new council house for everyone purchased. But would that really do anything to ease the supply issues that we face at the moment? Every new house built is a good thing. So if this scheme results in more houses being built, I'm all for it. Um, The fact is that when they trialled the right to buy in housing associations beforehand, it didn't didn't lead to that sort of one-to-one replacement Mm -hmm. rate. Um, Though that's not necessarily a deal breaker. Even if 50% of the houses result in more houses being built, that means that In some, there are more places for people to live in this country, which will make housing more affordable. Uh, So again, as I say, this is not necessarily a policy to completely wipe right off. Um, It could well make a difference on the margins, but this isn't going to be the transformation of the housing sector that we so desperately need in this country. You mentioned there that uh, this idea of uh, having uh, those within housing associations, allowing them to buy their own homes has been trialled before. What was the success rate like with that? Was it as good as the government thought it might be, or was it a policy that needed more refining and tweaking? Well, I'm not an expert on housing associations, Mm. but uh, certainly it it, it was a controversial trial. I, I know people who think it demonstrates that this scheme could work. Clearly, the government thinks that it it demonstrated enough success. And I know a lot of people within the sector who are, are, should we say, sceptical of the idea and think that um, it could lead to a real 
sense of sort of asset stripping these housing associations and, and losing their ability to provide social homes. I think it all comes down to the fact that some people will will say that does it matter if the home is being lived in by a tenant who, uh, you know, an owner occupier, or does that have to be a social home for it to be worth being? And, uh, you know, I don't necessarily have the answer to that. And I think that will, that will come down to your own political uh, beliefs. So what, what do these new reforms and policies announced in the speech mean for those who are currently renting their homes? Is there anything announced for them? Are they going to be able to join any new right to buy schemes? If you're currently in the private rented sector, um, i.e. you're not renting from uh, your local council or a housing association, which is a specific you know, form of, of landlord, then no, you won't have the right to buy. Um, I think I would be shocked if we ever saw anything equivalent to right to buy for the private rented sector. Frankly, that would be you know, a, a complete change to how Britain sees its political economy. Boris Johnson did speak about turning generation rent into generation buy. But as you say, there's not nearly enough supply going into the housing market. And in addition to that, wages aren't rising nearly enough to meet the rising house prices. So how can he actually do that? How can he turn generation rent into generation buy? Well, he needs to unlock a generation of house building first. Um, Mm. And we know that we know what we need to do to get that. We need to uh, do things like, you know, build more social homes, not just sell them off, you know, actively, you know, build them. deregulate planning permissions so that it's much easier to get permission to build dense, high-quality, walkable neighbourhoods, put government money into that. And actually, his government needs to stop actively sabotaging schemes to build more houses. Priced out, the campaign I run currently, uh, we're running a petition to get Grant Shapps to overturn his decision to block TFL, London Transport, from building 350 homes, including affordable homes, on a car park. You know, it really is that this government it talks the talk, but it does not walk the walk. It is making things worse, not better. And what, one of the things that you, you just mentioned there is the fact build, building neighbourhoods and communities, these low density na- neighbourhoods. And in the levelling up white paper from a few months ago, there's this idea of creating these street votes to allow people in uh, communities and neighbourhoods to vote on new proposals. Do you, do you think that will go far in actually creating more affordable homes or, or j- just simply allowing new developments to be built? Um, I think that street votes are an interesting proposal and I'm quite excited by them. If uh, It depends on the detail when we get the detail of, uh, of what we're going to see in the, in the actual levelling up bill. Uh, so street votes, for those who don't know, it's the it's an entirely in addition to the existing planning system. And it would allow a street to vote to uh, grant itself the right to do some development uh, on that street. And I think that they are a very good tool and I think they could help a lot if they are done correctly. But in the meantime, we really need to look at the whole planning system together. So, um, yes, I think street boats could help, but they're not going to be the silver bullet. You mentioned that your campaign about getting the, the Transport Secretary to grant the shops to reverse this decision to uh, block this housing development. But th- this is just what one example of many of local government, local authorities and in- indeed central governments as well, blocking proposals on sites which are simply being wasted, like car parks. There's definitely a place for car parks, for sure. But there are m- many areas which need additional supply of housing like London. So there is definitely an issue here around getting local authorities to want to build on these sites. But how do you think we can actually change the attitude within local government to get people to realise there is more to just having lots of car parks? We need more affordable homes and apartments are a large way to go into this. 
Absolutely. So with the Cockfosters development, the one that we're running the campaign on, actually Enfield Council had already approved that decision. So it was central government that steps in. So it's not, you know, it's not every council is is a NIMBY council. There are really good councils across the country that are building homes. Um, but for every great council, you've got two or three councils that just reflexively blocks homes, as you say. But again, that's not necessarily down to local government. That's down to who they represent. They represent existing residents and predominantly they represent people who vote which are older homeowners um, those are the sort of people who vote in local elections so it makes complete sense that a councillor would block development because that's what their constituents demand of them so when we want to change this we need to change the whole attitude in this country to new development and i think one of the things to point out is that um by blocking new development, you're blocking your children from having a safe and affordable place to live. Uh, you're hamstringing the UK economy. You're making the future of this country worse. Um, and, and we know that, and we've known that for years. Um, there are also other ideas. So as you, you've mentioned street votes, and one of the things I really like about street votes is that instead of going, you know, going to war with the NIMBYs and, and trying to attack them, we've thought, well, how can we make a win-win scenario? How can we incentivize them to say yes to development? Um, and I think that's one of the exciting possibilities about street votes. But in the end, we need to remind everyone that if we don't build enough homes, if we don't build at least 300,000 homes a year, house prices will continue to skyrocket. Your children will not have a safe and affordable place to live. They will not have well-paid jobs. We are you know, hamstringing our economic growth and our quality of life. The, the government tried to address this idea of trying to win people over to new housing developments a few years ago with this. It was called at the time the Building Beautiful Commission. It was done by uh, the late Sir Roger Scruton. And he was arguing that if you build homes that look attractive, that fit in with the local landscape using locally sourced materials, people are more likely to want to have those developments in their areas and there'd be less objection to them. Do you think there is a place for that? Do you think we do need to focus on actually, it sounds simple, but just building beautiful homes or is the aesthetic side of it a secondary issue in to, and actually we need to just simply promote the supply first? Absolutely. Um, I think that there's perhaps a place for that. Um, you know, I, I don't have a strong opinion either way on that specific issue um, because, you know, the Building Beautiful Review did suggest that. And I think that if you built beautiful homes, that's great with me. Um, the fact is that it was no one really likes uh, homes that were built, you know, let's say in the 50s or 60s when, you know, the height of central government planning of this stuff. People love, you know, London homes built in built before we even had the idea of planning permission. So I don't think what we need is more government regulation necessarily. I think we need to to remove uh, a huge amount of this planning bureaucracy that doesn't allow the market to compete. But I've always said that you could you could write building control, so you have to build really beautiful buildings if you let me, you know, strip out a lot of the planning permission. Because if you have to build it in a specific style, at least you're then able to build that building. Currently, we don't let people build the buildings in the first place, so it's it's sort of a moot point. A large part of this is the fact that there are so many restrictions around developing greenbelt land. And you know, government, local authorities want to promote the, the use of brownfield sites, so, you know, right, rightly so. And we've already discussed the idea of having the car parks uh, developed in certain areas. But do you think then there should be that greater emphasis on developing as much brownfield sites as possible before the green belt, or do we simply need to reform and change the law around what type of green space is protected? 
Yeah, so the the green belt is an outdated way of looking at green space. And in fact, a lot of what we would consider green belt is not very green. Uh, no one's saying that people shouldn't have access to green space. What we're actually saying is people should have access to more smaller parcels of green space near them that they can actually enjoy rather than just whole swathes of undeveloped land. So that's one thing. We need to look at green spaces much more as a resource for the community. For example, we could allow development on greenbelt land within, say, 10 minutes of a train station. That would unlock a million new homes. And those are homes that don't need to be car oriented. We can rely on public transport. That's a huge boon for the environment as well. It actually, it's a complete misconception that the green belt protects the environment. It's the opposite. It really encourages leapfrog development. So you get further away from the jobs and from the center of the city, which means they use more cars, more pollution. It's really bad. So the green belt is a, is a dreadful way of, of, of protecting green space. But more generally, we need to see uh, development and dense development as a good thing for the environment. Dense development encourages people to walk and take public transport. It supports you know, frequent bus routes. So we need to invest in public transport allow people to ditch their cars. In, in terms of this then, do we need to just totally revise the whole legislative approach to housing development and planning laws, and perhaps even have an, a brand new piece of legislation similar to the Olympic Act, which when uh, London was planning for the 2012 Olympics, just totally bulldozed over all the planning restrictions or the development laws and just uh, made these compulsory purchases so that they could do exactly what they needed to ensure the Olympics were delivered on time and on schedule. So the Olympic uh, Legacy Development Corporation, um, uh, it's, that's something called a development corporation. It's a specific sort of legal instrument you can use in a big project. They get to, as you say, bypass local planning. They become the planning authority and they can make the decisions. I think that that doesn't really work. You know, you couldn't do a, a nationwide version of that. And I, I, you know, I'd love to see planning commission genuinely fundamentally reformed. But we've got to look at the political reality here. The, the government tried to do actually quite a small change to planning just to make it slightly easier to build homes. And that was widely defeated after Liberal Democrats won in Cheshire and Amersham. We've got to realise that most people in this country, most most homeowners at least, are pretty nimby. And we've got to figure out how we can work within constraints to make things better uh, first, because it, it, I would love to see massive planning reform, but I just don't think it's feasible. So within the whole discussion around housing policy, there doesn't seem to be nearly enough discussion around the infrastructure needed. And you've already alluded to this with having you know, high density developments and well, well, low, low density and creating these communities and neighbourhoods. So do, do you think there's a large part of the issue around the uh, building of housing projects. A large part is, in fact, a lack of will from the central government or local authorities to provide and facilitate infrastructure like GP surgeries, schools, transport links that go alongside these developments. It's certainly a real problem. Uh, and I think the central government is, is really needs to take some of the blame here. We've seen that central government really you know, it has not been investing in British infrastructure. They've just cancelled yet more of HS2, for example, which we desperately need. It's the same with local government sometimes, but they often don't have the funding to directly support it. But, you know, the infrastructure is, this is a solvable, solvable question. Uh, we can build this infrastructure. We can do it in a green 
way and we can make the country better i'd like which is what i you know i'd like to see really just on hs2 briefly again we've had discussions about this on the show with previous guests as well who've had a wide variety of views on this but would it not make more sense in the short term just to completely overhaul and uh, redo the existing rail tracks and improve the quality of infrastructure that's there already rather than just build a completely new uh, Ab- rail line. Absolutely not. There's no point upgrading the West Coast Main Line because what really matters is the segregation of traffic type, not the speed. What we need to do is add capacity. We need to allow people who want to go straight from London to Birmingham, for example, to go on their own track so that they aren't slowed down by local rail and rail that wants to stop in between, which actually adds capacity to the local rail because you can run those more frequently while still allowing fast connections between you know london and birmingham we need to build more rail in this country it it's a complete non non-starter to think that because the victorians built some rail uh back in the 1800s we're now done uh we need to upgrade our rail network but we need to build networks um the parts of HS2 that are being cancelled by the government are the best bits of HS2. They're the parts further on than Birmingham that actually delivered the benefits to towns that really needed high-speed rail links. We shouldn't be drawing the line at HS2. We should be building more across the country. We should be linking cities in the north together and to London. We should be building high-quality metro infrastructure in other cities. We should be building Crossrail 2, Crossrail 3. You know, we need to be really investing in green infrastructure that can take us into the next century. Okay. So just bring it back to housing for a moment then. You know, we're in this really serious rising cost of living crisis as well. And again, with house prices rising so much, in what way can building houses help the cost of living? Would it just simply be more houses brings prices down? Uh, Yes. Uh, If you built enough houses, and we're a long way from doing that, we could bring the prices of houses down. Actually, what we should be aiming for now is just stabilise the price of housing. And we know, you know, for a fact that as house prices rise, rents rise. There are not enough places for people to live in every sector of the market which pushes rents up. And we remember that people spend about 50% of their income on rent. So if you're talking about the cost of living crisis, stopping rent increases, you know, allowing people to have a safe, affordable place to live that they can then, you know, make their home, that would be one of the best things we could do to tackle the affordability crisis. It's not a short-term solution. I understand that. We need to see the government do more uh, in the short term. But building houses is the way to tackle the cost of living crisis in the long term. And we see that the government isn't really interested in doing this. Uh, for example, one of their latest schemes would see payments, you know, energy bill payments, uh, be doubled up to people who own two homes, which I think is a complete slap in the face to to renters struggling to get on the housing ladder, that people who own two or three homes are getting thousands from the government. And so for those who are the middle income earners and who are renting, just going back to Boris Johnson's speech for a moment, was there anything in there that will help them? Uh, Will there be anything from the government really to try and ease that burden on those middle income earners who are uh, in the private rental sector? In Boris's speech, there wasn't a huge amount. Uh, there, There was a bit more. In the levelling up bill, uh, there were protections for renters. So things like uh, the government planned to scrap Section 21, which is sort of a, an eviction without a, a reason, uh, which is a good thing and something that we at Price Out have been campaigning for for a while now. And we're excited to see. Uh, hopefully that becomes law. There were 
uh, you know, other protections for renters. But unfortunately, it still doesn't address the root cause that the housing, there isn't enough housing. Um, so uh, apart from street boats, which hopefully, you know, let's see if that does what we want. But I'm quite excited by other than that, we're seeing not much from this government to address the actual underlying supply. There have been a few trials in a few different uh, European cities and capitals, but Berlin is an example of rent controls. Again, do, do they do anything to ease the, the burden on private renters or do they just simply increase the inflated housing market? Rent controls are an absolute disaster. Um, they simply will not work. Uh, and, and we know they won't work because you still have too many people for too few places to live. So you end up with generally a grey market. Uh, where people rent these houses out illegally, uh, for example, um, or you end up protecting existing tenants at the complete cost of um, any new tenants, anyone who might move to the area, um, and you completely ossify the city because no one wants to move for the fear of losing their rent-controlled uh, apartment. No, again, rent control, that's another demand-side intervention which won't work in a supply constrained market um you know it's a it's a demand side in intervention from the left rather than the right but it's still not what we need to be doing okay so just to finish that boris johnson he's got an 80 seat majority in the house of commons he can pass more or less whatever he wants on housing what are the three things he should do to bring an end to the housing crisis well uh, unfortunately it looks like he can't pass whatever he wants on this specific issue. But what, what, what I'd like to see reduce the ability for, for councils to, to completely block stuff. They should still get, you know, their say. Should, you know, it's very important that we make good development, but we still have to make some development. I'd like to see investment infrastructure. You know, we should be building HS2, as I say, and, and more, more green infrastructure across the country to support these housing developments. Um, and there should be money made available for local councils to build the sort of local infrastructure, as you mentioned, GPs, water, that sort of stuff. And then the, the third thing, um, I think street boats, you know, maybe one out of three, I'll give to them. If we see a really uh, high quality street boats plan from the government, uh, something that could unlock new homes. And remember, the great thing about street boats, it unlocks new homes whilst bringing the residents along with it because they share in the benefit. And that's potentially the most exciting part about it. So those are the, my, would be my three off the top. Of my OK, well, on that positive note, Freddie Poser, thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you very much for having me.